Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 15th of February 2013. I always suggest to newcomers look at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, help themselves to the, the archive section. There's lots of audios for free download there, going back quite a few years. And I give you lots of information about the system you're born into and where it's going and who was behind it, of course, because you're living in an exact system, a very, a very uh, precise system, in fact, created a long time ago. Uh, that um, had a, has had a vision of taking the world over and running it more efficiently. And the ones who decided to do this uh, really formed their own clubs and foundations. They run the world through foundations, and the foundations sponsor and pay uh, your, your pharmaceutical industry. These are the guys who get all the sciences started and going. They sponsor the NGOs, thousands of them across the planet, that lobby governments. And they also uh, lobby, gov- they lobby governments themselves directly, they also put guys into politics and bureaucracies across the world. And one of the organizations is Royal Institute for International Affairs. So it's very official, but it's actually a private organization. And their counterpart in the U.S. and Canada, CFR, Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, they have branches in every country across the world. They have their own personal history uh, archives because they are behind lots of the big changes in history for the last hundred years. And their own historian, Carl Quigley, uh, was their personal a historian, he said the same thing. He said they have a world's conquest to do, to update the planets, update the people in a sense too, and that natural resources should be left to them at the top, the ones who already acquired the money through generations of interbreeding, and they really believe this, in fact, and they have the right then to dominate the world and rule everybody, all the lesser types down below them. You have to read the, the Anglo-American establishment by Quigley too. He gives you lots of insights into this group and where it was going. But also, he said, we're behind the wars, all the major wars in the 20th century and no doubt into the present century because they have a world agenda of standardization. All the countries have to have the same central banking system privately owned under the World Bank and the Bank for International Settlements is to be the big top bank as we go along. So help yourself to all the, the, the history of this. And they have massive psychology departments on board across the world. They are the main advisors to government departments, policy think tanks who run them all. And therefore, as I say, private organizations run the world. Remember, two, you're the audience who bring me to you. I'm not sponsored by anybody. I don't take uh, money from advertisers or anything like that. Uh, no shares in anything that's sold. So you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or donate. And from the USA Canada, don't forget you can use personal checks or you can use international postal money orders from the post office still. And you can send cash or use PayPal. Across the world, uh, Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal. But remember too, that academia is on board with this whole agenda because these big boys at the top, especially the Rockefeller Foundation in America, for instance, have put grants into every university across the country and Canada as well, and other countries too. And if you, when you, they come with strings attached, and if they don't like something that's being taught, that's instantly uh, out. 
and what they do want taught is instantly in. Our minds are shaped by our education. And, of course, it's indoctrination, according to, to the ones who rule the world. You suit the masters, in other words. You come out believing exactly what you're told, and you become whatever job or profession you join. You become your work, unfortunately. And I've said this before, even years ago, I've done talks on this, how you become what you work at. It's very sad because you see people get breaking up at the end of their, their working life because many of them don't know what to do afterwards. They've missed out on a lot of life because they become what they do. So sad. And it's more to humanity than that, of course. Back with more after this break. Hi, facts. We're, we're, we're back. I was reading facts recently, folks, but I was thinking about different facts to do with certain people. But the fact is that I was thinking about Paul Ehrlich, and of course he is a guy who came up with a population bomb, uh, funded again by the big foundations that run the world. And these are tax-free foundations that have trillions and trillions of dollars to spend on all their big projects. They're called the parallel government, by the way. Even Thatcher called them that. And they actually take in ex-prime ministers and presidents after they've been, they're out of office. And Thatcher said, it says, we all know each other and we work together. We can get things done behind the scenes now that we're not in the public limelights. We're not responsible to them and so on. And because they have a big, big, long agenda to fulfill, you understand. And if you go back to the Club of Rome uh, report, the Club of Rome is a big think tank again. That's the think tank that really talks to the United Nations, that's their advisors. And the Club of Rome was into massive depopulation and so on. And one of the books in the 1970s, they talked about the fact that democracy wouldn't work, although they would use democracy to fool the people to get the big world agenda through, going to war, spreading democracy through through slaughtering folk, in other words, and um, standardizing the planet. But, uh, but they also wanted to, as I say, run the world properly, efficiently, by bureaucracies, etc. And that's already here. That's what the big population uh, and greening agenda is all about. It's running it more efficiently for the masters at the top who've had this in mind for over a 100 years. But his population bomb, Paul Ehrlich, um, was the one that, that they fudged all the statistics and so on to get big attention uh, from the media and academia because academia is used intensively by the foundations. Because after all, if you want to brainwash the next bunch of world managers, you go to where, where they are. That's at the universities, the higher universities, Ivy League types, and you brainwash them first. And of course, all his predictions came, uh, weren't true. Uh, he said we're all starved to death by the 1970s and so on. It didn't happen. And things, but it doesn't matter because I see this intention of what they're really after is really important is to control everybody's behavior, everybody's behavior. And that's what the whole greening agenda is about. That's what sustainability is about. And it's, it's to control you minutely. Even it'll decide eventually if you even get born. And many of their books have talked about this too. In the future, you won't get born unless they actually need you. And so anything else is, is called surplus population. Uh, so you have to go into the writings of him. But this ties in with this article here because Ehrlich's, his name is on it too. Hold, remember Holdren too that's up there with Obama. He's also the, helped to write the book, The Population Bomb, with Ehrlich. So uh, you've got them all in power today. So they do put their own members into power. Uh, and as Carol quickly mentioned, that uh, the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR, have put in every president and prime minister for a 100 years. 
across the world. Across it's a big boast. And he should know he was he was hitting head of all their archives. So here's an article here is about uh, the next step to show you this is all true, where they're going with this and why they're doing it. It says here that um, the ecologists, the concept ecologists, you know, even though the, I think Ehrlich's speciality was butterflies, but ecologists urge government to move beyond existing existent levels of public permission. Now, this is the whole idea of the, the, the liaison and the connection between government and the people. In other words, that the government can't go too far ahead in promoting things without the public's permission. It's a, it's a big, you know, it's a big myth they believe in that you get permission, but, but they like to still call it that. But anyway, they want, the ecologists urge government to move beyond existent levels of public permission. And it says governments can and even should. This is from a, a report that just came out for the universities, by the way. And I'll put the link up tonight, the PDF. And it says, governments can and even should move beyond existent levels of public permission in order to shift normals, normals, social norms and behavioral norms, allowing public sentiment to later catch up with the regulation. So pass the laws first and then put in massive blitzes to recondition us through training us through television and repetition and so on and little slogans and all that that Lenin talked about. This is a peer-reviewed paper put up by the American Institute of Biological Sciences titled Social Norms and Global Environmental Challenges. And I say I'll put the links up, PDFs tonight. These are, they haven't published the whole thing, but I've got some of it here. To be published, this is the March 2013 edition of Bioscience. A group of well-known scientists calls on governments and scientists to start with the planned social engineering of normals and values. They'll give you your, your new values. I mentioned the other day there that you, everything you do was given to you. All your things that you like, even your hobbies, are promoted by the ones at the top. You don't even know where they come from. Your behavior is all altered according to the desires of those above you. Perhaps massive promiscuity, no families, whatever. That's what they do. So they'll, they'll engineer social norms and values in regards to environmental policies. The objective, according to the authors, is that these engineered normals must work their way into existing ones so finally environmental policies will be accepted without reserve. In other words, everyone will be pro... Actually, you'll be a heretic if you go against it. And the rest of them, the public will turn on you once they're conditioned. A sustained campaign, in other words, with government and scientists working together as to gradually create changes in behavior. And I told you before, every government uh, has uh, has neuroscientists and behaviorists on board with them. Uh, they work with universities too to make sure that they have the right curriculums taught in the right way to brainwash the students. And everything you watch on television and all the movies you can put out are called predictive programming. It goes all the way back to the Tavistock Institute that worked with Britain through the world wars to create propaganda how to alter the behavior of people in warfare, but they never gave up. They're still going today. All these professionals. It says, so life sciences could make fundamental contributions to this agenda through targeted research on the emergence of social norms, the group asserts. Substantial numbers of people will have to alter their existing behaviors to address this new class of global environmental problems. Alternative approaches are needed when education and persuasion alone are insufficient. Okay? Now, you understand, I mean, I've lived long enough to watch all the changes uh, promoted from the top down to political, through political correctness and, to, and the mantras that come with it until your opinions and your views on things which used to disgust you, uh, you better have the, the, the new opinions and new normals now or you're, you're, you can get charged for seeing what, what you used to say. 
which is even though it's all self-evident, uh, you can get charged for that. So it, comes, it all comes from the top. So it says one of these proposals on alternative approaches include more environmental regulations from the top down, with the aim of conditioning the public to accept an increasing governmental control over personal behaviour. Now getting back to another group that's uh, involved in this, and Ehrlich knows them well, and that is known them well too, uh, they're mentioned here, as the Club of Rome. They said that, as I say, democracy wouldn't work in the long run. And already at that time, the 1970s, it had so many factions all fighting each other for control and power that it would never work. Therefore, the society eventually would be authoritarian. Now, this is what this is, what this, is this article here. It's about the aims and goals of the big foundations, the big think tanks that work with them full-time, thousands of them, by the way, that modify all of your behavior constantly and prepare your minds for the next step and the next step and the next step. So, so it's, it's the aim of conditioning the public to accept an increasing governmental control over personal behavior. The paper continues by saying that the best way to alter existing behaviors is through persuasive government regulations such as, and here we go, it's old stick, it's the power of the purse, penalties as fines and fees, regulations and incentives in order to achieve significant behavior modification. This is all about behavior modification. No, hardly a person alive today hasn't been modified with their beliefs and, and their views on all the new things that have come along down the pike over the years. And because you have, there's a herd instinct, most folk want to join the herd, we're social, we're social creatures, they go with the, if, if when their pals will start to go, okay, uh, you know, try this, try that, I'll believe in that, they'll go along with it too. So effective policies then are the ones that induce both short-term changes in behavior and longer-term changes in social norms, the authors indicate. Now, why do they know this will work? Because you see, everything else that's happened in the past 60 years has worked on you. Society's been completely turned 180 degrees from where it was with all its views and opinions and everything. And that's all these things that used to be abnormal are now normal. This is anticipating that regulatory interventions by government are sure to create resistance amongst the target population. The scientists express confidence that their recommendations can be carried out in a way that abides by the principles of representative democracy. What a joke that is, eh? Including transparency, when you've ever seen that, it's like frosted glass. Fairness, there's no fairness. And accountability. The way governments may go about it, they argue, is by on the one hand managing normals through such things as advertising campaigns. Everything that you watch on TV is, 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 isn't just selling, folks. You get all the PC updates with your, what you watch, and plus your movies too, and your dramas that you watch. Uh, information blitzes or appeals from respected figures. Because once again, I, I've talked about the book, it was about um, logic. And it was to do with um, straight and crooked thinking, it was called. And the, the guy said, if you take someone in Hyde Park in England on their soapbox, a tramp, uh, spouting off with his favorite thing, folk laugh and they jeer. They used to throw tomatoes and so on at them. And another folk clap them. But if you get that same guy and dress him up in a tux and a whole bit and get a blitz going to see this is a famous uh, uh, professor, and because they make stars, you understand your scientists are put up to stardom. They have been for a long time. You, it's like any other star. You create them, you blitz the public with it all, saying, "Oh, this guy's a genius." Well, get that same tramp that, that talked on the soapbox, 
and you put him in a, in a theatre, talking to lots of people, and I'm telling you, he'll be as instant hits, even before he's opened his mouth, because it's so easy to condition the public on this. And you believe in respectable authoritarian figures, you see. That's what works on you. The other aspect involved is the use of financial incentives and disincentives, such fines, fees, and regulations. Fines can be an effective way to alter behavior, in part because they, uh, like social norm management, signal the seriousness with which society treats the issue. That's when you're broke, you're broke. Most folk are broke today with the inflation and all the rest of it. By extension, the authors assess that behaviors and values will co-evolve alongside increased government control in the form of state regulations and fines. Back with more on this after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about this report put out that's, that's by Ehrlich and others that there are really, who, who really have a voice in the, the university communities and so on, and they lobby governments like crazy, uh, and they've been their members actually appointed now to governments, uh, that they want to push this new coercive me- method through where they're going to make you pay lots of fines and fees and so on to change and modify your behavior coupled with media blitzes plus they'll sink it all into the even comedy shows will have the, the, the terms used that they always give you little slogans to, 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 to brainwash you through repetition and be in movies and so on. They pay authors to put this stuff in their novels too and Canada does that too. Anyway, it says A carbon tax might prove effective when, even in the face of near-term opposition, what needs to be assessed is the possibility that behaviours and values would co-evolve to complete modification of behaviour in such a way that a carbon tax or other policy instrument that raises prices, such as cap-and-trade system, that's where you pay for what some little bureaucrat with his pencil will work out to be with the cost of that Mars bar from the paper to the, to the, to the, 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 the heat that was used or escaped in the atmosphere during the manufacture of it all, all that stuff, and they tack that on at the end of it. Ultimately, it comes to be seen as, a wor- as worthy, which would therefore allow for its long-term effectiveness, it says. The probability of a boomerang effect from such appeals is low. The general public are too dumbed down now to understand when they're getting brainwashed. And I, I hate to say that. You see, once you start brainwashing, it, it, it really it opens you up to, to believe anything. And most folk are completely conditioned by social indoctrination, as it's called social engineering, of course. But uh, Bertrand Russell talked on that technique of social indoctrination. Once it's happened, the folk think they're all quite normal, even though all their values have changed. And then they can really push the new one and the new one and the new one, and you accept them one after another. So the probability of a boomerang effect from such appeals is low, except in the most avidly anti-authoritarian subpopulations. I mean, that's the thinkers, folks. That's just a few thinkers that are left. After the paper continues listing examples of past information blitzes, which have proved to be a success, they stress that government and the scientific community should move beyond public consent Authoritarian society, in other words, when it comes to top-down regulations imposed on the American people. But it's it's actually the Canadian, it's all of us. Some have argued that regulations are inherently coercive and cannot or should not exceed implied levels of public permission for such regulations. An alternative viewpoint is that governments can and even should move beyond existent levels of public permission in order to shift social norms, allowing public sentiment to later catch up with the regulation. 
It's straight on your face, folks. You know, The paper is concluded with three distinct recommendations to scientists and governmental agencies. It says the greater inclusion of social and behavioral scientists in periodic environmental policy assessments. So they want more neuroscientists and behaviorists working and, and all what you're given as facts for the propaganda, to make sure that propaganda is effective. The establishment of teams of scholars and policymakers that can assess new bureaucracies on all this, on policy-relevant timescales, because they always have agendas with timescales. The short and long-term efficiency of policy interventions. And three, the alteration of academic normals to allow more progress on these issues. That means more intense psychological indoctrination uh, for those going through academia. By admitting that they're willing to move beyond existing levels of public permission to push ahead with draconian environmental policies, these prominent scientists, among whom we find two Nobel laureates and one Paul Ehrlich, have proven their willingness to deceive the American population in order to fulfill an international agenda. An international agenda, it says. And who's all got their names on this paper? It says Anne P. Kinzig, Paul R. Ehrlich, uh, Lee G. Alston. Kenneth Arrow, Scott Barretts, Timothy G. Buchman, Gretchen C. Daly, Bruce Levin, Simon Levin, Michael Oppenheimer, Eleanor Ostrom, and Donald Sari. Now, for those who haven't got it, there's a connection between these folk that you have to look for to see. And also, they're, they're, they've been heavily into communism, and, and they call it actually neo-Trotskyism, and... Um, for the completely controlled authority and society running the planet for, for, an awful, for their whole lives, in fact. And they go into more detail there. And it's, it's, it's right in your face what they want to happen and how to do it and so on. And the rest of the, the thing comes out, as I say, next month. And I'll put that up when it comes out. But this one is something to start with. And it says pretty well as much as you need to know at the moment. Uh, because you, you, those who are listeners to this particular program will know that it's been going on for a long time. I've described these things before. So there you are, folks. But this is all through what you're, you already believe in anyway. It doesn't matter. It, it really is. Your whole behavior has been given to you in this, this age. All of it. Even the way you dress uh, and what you're into. Uh, here you have whole populations prattling off everything about themselves and, and the study after study, again, by the behaviorists who work for governments and, and academia doing studies on you. They know everything you're into. They know where they want to take you with more social norms, not just this bunch. And, and you've already accepted them. You, you accept there's no privacy because that was the goal of totalitarian societies, and this, especially this one, that you, you eventually accept there is no privacy. Even the old Soviet Union, or with with uh, East Germany, with the Stasi was was what, like one in four worked for the Stasi. They blackmailed the average person to to to, to climb on everybody else, and form on them. They didn't have all this technology. They didn't have poor populations putting up their every thought and prattling off, uh, to the, for all these NASA, the NSA and all this to grab. So you've already been brainwashed, and and they've have altered your behaviour. So this stuff about this new implementation will be a piece of cake. I, I'm sorry to say so, but it's true. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Trying in with these articles too. I'll mention too that um, they already have the organizations set up, set up already for the US and, and Canada and other ones to bring in these, these carbon taxes. And the private corporations again. Now you remember too that private corporations, when the Royal of International Affairs set up, they already owned international corporations. Going back to the, to the British East India Company and the Dutch East India Company in the 1500s. International corporations, they were crown owned at the time. Only the elites, very wealthy and generally members of, of, of royalty with all their, their thousands of relatives and so on, uh, were, were members of it. They even still ran the opium trade, uh, probably still do, but they, they opened it, they had it, did it openly back then. In the early 1900s, they pretended that it had nothing to do with it until I think it was Thompson, an MP in Britain in the 1920s, brought up in Parliament why uh, they still had a, a British opium department. And of course, uh, that blew up then. And George Orwell, it turned out, his father, Mr. William was Blair, his father was also, they were for a long line of bureaucrats, intergenerational bureaucrats, his family. His father was the head for Burma at the time for the opium fields for Britain. Still goes on today in other countries. So it's a vastly different world than the one that you're brainwashing, schooled into believing, to be so that you're a good citizen, you understand. But also these big corporations that came out from the Royal Institute of International Affairs, they already had the international banking community on board. That's the international lenders to nations on board. They, they, they comprised it when they set it up. But they also had in massive international corporations, and they would have a lot of these corporations as real corporations in France. And remember, two out of them came the OSS and the CIA and uh, MI6. In fact, the headquarters of the OSS during World War II was based, not by accident, at the Chatham House in Britain, in London, where uh, that was the headquarters for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, this private organization that's still running the show today. And the reason for it was because, you see, they were the secret service for Britain, and they still are at the higher levels. They're, they actually have a secret service in Britain, and it's made of aristocracy. To get into that one, you have to be an aristocrat and the members of an aristocratic family. Not in a, Down the scale is MI6 and MI5. So they still run it today, but they also put out real uh, organizations that would work for these secret services and so on, real corporations. The biggest corporations in the U.S. were started off by them as front organizations, but real ones that sell things, make products and so on for the military-industrial complex. And Riathon was one of them. I've mentioned Riathon the other night. I'll just touch on it here again tonight to show you where they're going. Uh, Talking about brainwashing, conditioning. They know exactly how to con the public because you tweet everything out. Every little thought is out there that you put out there. There's no privacy. And you don't mind. Young people really have been trained not to mind this. And it's a multinational security firm has secretly developed software capable of tracking people's movements and predicting the future behavior. It's all behaviorism. By mining data from social networking websites. Now, we've known that for a long time because the Pentagon said they were doing the same thing a few years ago. It's in the archive section at cuttingfreemedics.com. And the Pentagon said they had a virtual you. Everyone's got a virtual you. And there's the supercomputers in the Pentagon. And they, they update it daily with all the, the stuff that you put out there with your chats and all the rest of it and your tweets. And uh, they update it. And, and they run programs on you, the virtual you, to see how you'll behave in certain situations. They, they know who's going to rebel against things and who's not. 
And anyway, so here's another one here. It says, a video obtained by The Guardian reveals how an extreme-scale analytics system created by Raython, and now they're big up there in, in the military-industrial complex, massive protection because you can't sue. They're, they're really, as I say, it's a CIA front, but a real one, a real corporation. All these big ones are. Since the world's fifth largest defense contractor can gather vast amounts of information about people from websites, including Facebook, Twitter, and Foursquare. Now, if that's the fifth biggest one, which they created themselves, this big bunch at the top, the other four above them also belong to them. <laughs> Since Raython says it's not sold the software named Riot or Rapid Information Overlay Technology to any clients. But Massachusetts-based company has acknowledged the technology was shared with the U.S. government and industry. It's their own industries. See, they own all the big corporations, this group that runs the world. They own your governments. They own, they are your CIA at the top. They're way above them. As part of a joint research and development effort in 2010 to help build a national security system capable of analyzing trillions of entities from cyberspace. The power of Riot to harness popular websites for surveillance offers rare insight into controversial techniques that have attracted interest from intelligence and national security agencies, at the same time prompting civil liberties online privacy concerns. The technology demonstrates how the same social networks that helped propel the Arab Spring revolutions can be transformed into Google for spies. That's what they call it, Google for spies, and tapped as a means of monitoring and control. Using Riot, it's possible to gain an entire snapshot of a person's life, their friends, their places they visit, chartered on a map, in little more than a few clicks of a button. In the video obtained by The Guardian, I'll put this up tonight, it's explained by Raython's principal investigator, Brian Irk, that uh, photographers use post, a user's posts on social networks sometimes contain latitude and longitude details automatically embedded by smartphones within EXIF header, header data. Riot pulls out the information showing not only the photographs posted on social networks by individuals, but also the location at which the photographs were taken. We're going to track one of our own employees, or said in the video, before bringing up pictures of Nick, a Raython staff member, used as an example target. When the information gathered from social networks, Riot quickly reveals uh, his frequent visit to Washington National Park, where on occasion he snapped the photograph himself, posing with a blonde-haired woman. So it says, we, we know where Nick's going. We know what Nick looks like. He says, now we want to try to predict where he may be in the future. They know more than, they know everything about you, your whole personality. But I'll put this up tonight. And actually this article itself helps to, um, it's like predictive programming. The article itself is getting you used to the idea of this. And once you become used to an idea, that's what fiction's all about, all your big movies. When they actually implement more and more of it in the real thing in life, you accept it because you haven't reasoned through it. It was mainly done through predictive programming, through bits and bytes that are put into your head. This is a, a science. Well proven. It works awfully well. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's all there, folks. I mean, this is the, so this is the same kind of systems, of course, and techniques that they'll be using uh, with Paul Ehrlich and all his bunch that tells governments what to do, because they've got authority to do that, by the way, by the ones who own the world, the big institutions, the, the foundations, the ones who put the prime ministers in and presidents in, and thousands and thousands of bureaucrats are put in as well. They're all members and sworn allegiance. They've sworn allegiance to this organization, this world organization. That's the real world. Also tonight, too, it's interesting to, to see the big build-ups to 
the new type of the GMO flu vaccine that was going to be grown from plants. And uh, rather than use the, the, grow the viruses on eggs, chicken eggs, so plants and so on. Well, right off the bat, the big build-up to it, how wonderful it's going to be. Two vaccine study participants died during the trials of the first GMO flu. I'll put that up tonight, too, for those. Mind you, there's plenty of us, according to Ehrlich, they can kill as many as they want, doesn't matter. And so I'll put this up tonight as well. Now, I generally don't quote this site here because it's one of the big, uh, actually work for the big think tank boys. But it says here, this is a light-hearted one. Uh, it says, an appalling lack of zombie preparedness in the Great White North. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. It says, um, speaking of that, the lighter side, uh, a few friends and colleagues have informed me that zombie preparedness has become a political issue up in Canada. You know, all these zombie movies you wonder what they're all about? Then had the big zombie thing in, in the States with the military involved in Homeland Security. In case a virus attacks the brains of people, they said, and they'll become like zombies. And that's what all the movies have done. They've already prepared you for all this way in advance through all this. That's where they churn them out. But says, the, game, the, the Canadian government today has gone on the record about the zombie apocalypse, an amazing exchange on the floor of the House of Commons today, Parliament. Foreign Affairs Minister John Beard was asked if he was working to develop an international zombie strategy so that zombie invasion does not turn into a zombie apocalypse. The new Democrat Party uh, pres, uh, Parliament member, Pat Martin, applauded the United States Center for Disease Control's emergency preparedness measures premised on a zombie outbreak and wanted to know how Canada would act to protect its citizens. And there's a little clip there, too, I'll put up for those who want to see this exchange in Parliament. But they're, they're really, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, they might release some one day that will fetch you. Now, why people who are sick would suddenly attack, attack those who are not sick makes no sense, of course. But it's also a tongue-in-cheek thing, this whole zombie thing of all of you folks. You are the zombies. If you don't get that, if you don't understand that by now, see, you're the zombies. The general population are zombified through their incredible conditioning. That's what it means. If you can't think for yourself and reason, then you're a zombie. It, it means two different things. And um, this article, too, um, it was out in 2009, and it... Uh, it says here, on the morning of, of the 2nd of October 2008, one of us, it says, joined an audience of mostly health professionals and listened as Dr. Diane Harper, the leading international developer of the HPV, it's a human papilloma virus uh, vaccine, gave a sales pitch for Gardasil. Gardasil, as you know, is a new vaccine that's supposed to confer protection against four strains of the sexually transmitted human papilloma virus. And Dr. Harper came to the fourth international public conference on vaccination to prove to us the real benefits of Gardasil. And it says, sadly, her own presentation left me, uh, it says, and others filled with doubts. By her own admission, Gardasil has a doctor surrounding me, glaring at a poor promise of efficacy, its effectiveness, as a vaccine married to a high risk of life-threatening side effects. Gardasil, Dr. Harper explained, is promoted by Merck. The pharmaceutical manufacturer is a safe and effective prevention measure against cervical cancer, which of course it's not. They've never even tried it. And remember, there's many kinds of uh, the human papillomavirus out there in the world. So the theory behind the, 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 vi- the vaccine is that the HPV may cause cervical cancer, may cause, you see, conferring a greater immunity of some strains of HPV might reduce the incidence of this form of cancer. In pursuit of this goal, tens of millions of American girls have been vaccinated to date, and many of them got sick and many of them got strokes, remember, and got all the articles up there from the mainstream and from the medical uh, associations on that. But it doesn't matter, they go ahead with it anyway. Again, too, see, propaganda overcomes logic. 
It really does with most folk, unfortunately. And, and, and blitzes, just like Eric's when you have with you, blitzing all the stuff to, to the next generation and you too to go along with fines, fees and punishments for not being PC to do with carbon credits and carbon taxes and all that and your behaviour. Since I sat scribbling down Merck's claims, I wonder why such mass vaccination campaigns were necessary. After all, Dr. Harper explained, 70% of HPV infections resolve themselves without treatment in one year. After two years, this rate climbs to 90% of the remaining 10% of the HPV infections. Only half coincide with the development of cervical cancer. Further undercuts the case for mass and vaccination campaigns in the U.S. when she pointed out that four out of five women with cervical cancer are in developing countries. So they're always giving you statistics, but they don't tell you that the statistics are about the whole planet. Four out of five women with cervical cancer are in developing countries. Harper serves as a consultant to the World Health Organization, who, for HPV vaccination in the developing world. Indeed, she surprised her audience by stating that the incidence of cervical cancer in the U.S. is so low that if we get the vaccine and continue pap screening, we will not lower the rate of cervical cancer in the U.S. It's so low. See, pap screening was catching in, in the U.S. If this is the case, I thought, then why vaccinate at all? From the murmurs of the doctors and the audience, it was apparent that the same thought had occurred to them. In the U.S., cervical cancer rate is 8 per 100,000 women. Moreover, it's one of the most treatable forms of cancer. The current death rate from cervical cancer is between 1.6 to 3.7 deaths per 100,000 women. The American Cancer Society notes that between 1955 and 1992, the cervical cancer death rate declined by 74% and adds that the death rate from cervical cancer continues to decline by nearly 4% each year. This is before the inoculations. At this point, I began to wriggle around in my seat, uncomfortably wondering, is the vaccine really effective? Using data from the trials funded by Merck, Dr. Harper cheerfully continued to demolish the case for the vaccine that she was ostensibly there to promote. She informed us that with the use of Gardasil, there will be no decrease, right? No decrease in the cervical cancer until at least 70% of the population is vaccinated. And in that case, the decrease will be very minimal. Minimal, that's if it even works. The highest amount of minimal decrease will appear in 60 years. What a great boom. I mean, can you imagine get a contract for all these years from governments to vaccinate everybody? They did the same thing with the flu vaccinations. And they've even, their, own, their own studies show that everybody who gets the flu gets the flu. And they get the flu vaccine and they get the flu. Or they get, they get pneumonia. But, but what great salesmanship, eh? Massive propaganda campaigns terrify the living daylights of the general public. Oh, you're going to die if you get these HPVs. Oh, you'll die. And they reckon billions and trillions across the world. This is hard to imagine a less compelling case for Gardasil. First of all, it's highly unlikely that 70% or more of the female population will continue to get routine Gardasil shots and boosters along with the annual pap smears. And even if it did, according to Dr. Harper, after 60 years, the vaccinations will only have prevented 70% of incidences of cervical cancer. It says, but uh, rates of death from cervical cancer are already declining, so let's do the math. If 4% annual decline in cervical cancer death continues, in 60 years, there will have been a 91.4 decline in cervical cancer death just from current cancer monitoring and treatment. This is without the vaccine. 
Comparing this rate of decline to Gardasil's projected very minimal reduction in the rate of cervical cancer of only 70% of incidence in 60 years, it's hard to resist the conclusion that Gardasil does almost nothing for the health of American women. I should say a lot of the, the people who've, who've got it, you find it's happening all the time. They get strokes, these young women. I put up the articles and the videos even of them afterwards, young teenage girls. And, uh, and some of them die. Some are completely uh, immobilized and paralyzed. And they find now human papillovirus is supposed to be on the skin. But with this, this, in, this in, injection they give them, the vaccine, they modified the virus and, and synthesized it too. And they're finding it inside the bloodstream. It shouldn't be there. Normal viruses don't get in to the bloodstream, folks. And something's big is happening. So it's causing uh, strokes and so on. Anyway, I think that's, this doctor actually came out afterwards on some talk shows and says, actually, oh, we'll do nothing at all. Because they hadn't done no tests on it. So I'll put this up again tonight for those who, who, who care, you know. Um, remember, propaganda campaigns overcome everything. Oh, you gotta get it, you gotta get it. And then, and then peer pressure. Well, I've got it. Haven't you got it? Also, I'll put up an article tonight. It's the first now for Australian boys to get Gardasil to, for cervical cancer. That makes sense of that? After all, isn't that what it came out for? Just up cervical cancer? So boys are going to get it now. And they don't have a cervix, folks. So I'll put this article up tonight too. Great business. What salesmanship, eh? You don't care about the folk dying with this stuff. doesn't matter at all. According to Ehrlich, there's lots of us. Remember the population bomb that he, he wrote about? Too many of you, actually. You know, all of you. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I am back, cutting through the matrix. Also, I'll put up another one of these big international corporations that are also started off by the same boys because they always have to be at the top of everything. And this company is I, it's IBM. And IBM is uh, uh, part of the military-industrial complex. They've been given, apparently, the whole worldwide grid, apparently. And uh, we had no say in the matter either. So I don't know what Ehrlich's on about, about getting public approval. We were never asked on anything that's going to matter. But it's part of the, the, the whole technique, the system, actually, that's going to eventually fine you and, and so on for electricity, etc. But um, uh, and, and actually cut you off if they go over you over a certain quota that will be allocated to you. It says, IES also likes IBM to operate Ontario's smart meter data management and repository system. The five-year, $68.5 million Canadian contract awarded to IBM to continue operating one of the, la- the largest transaction systems of its kind. And they use Markham Ontario, it says. It says, today announced that it had been selected to continue supporting the independent electricity system operator, IESO, to operate Ontario's meter data management and repository system with new computing infrastructure and an updated operating environment. And so I'll put this up tonight for those who care about it too. They're doing it all across the world. IBM is a big boys, worldwide grid and all that, smart cities, smart everything, smart world. And none of us have had a say in anything whatsoever, folks, with IBM. And also, too, uh, another one on Markham Ontario to do with a similar thing. But remember, they also have used, I think, maybe it was Markham, too, a few years back for the cashless society. They tried to give everybody in the town credit cards. I think it was Markham. 
uh, and uh, after about two or three years of using it, the people, the tests, they said they didn't like it. But it doesn't matter, they'll all get it eventually. And then, um, so the three articles in that all together. Now, for those who are on about horse meat uh, in, the, in the U.S. and the world, uh, wondering why they're, you know, and all this hullabaloo about it, you've been eating it for a while, because the horse meat inspection ban was lifted in the U.S. in 2011, actually. As his horses could soon be butchered in the U.S. for human consumption after Congress quietly lifted a five-year-old ban on funding horse meat inspections and activists say slaughterhouses could be up and running in as little as a month. This was back in 2011, for those who don't know. And by the way, by the way, I mean, they've already I've given the articles here where you should buy a roast in Canada and other countries. It's actually the waste from all over the world, these corporations now that run the meat industries. Are getting so waste, and they glue them together with a glue you don't see until you actually buy one. If you actually peel parts off of it, you don't even know what you're eating anymore. You know, it's the big push to get all the dogs chipped and get rid of the domestic animals. The big massive drive at the moment all over the world. Go into it. Look up uh, cats. You know, cats are killing all the birds. Even though I, I read the article from from the Department of Agriculture in the U.S. that's killing off millions of songbirds every year now. Because they're eating seed, you see, from the big agribusiness farms. But they're blaming the cats. I don't see any real old cats in this area here. They just don't see them around at all. And there's hardly any birds left. Because they're killing them all off. The Food and Drug Administration, the Department of Agriculture. But, you see, what used to be fed to the domestic animals, you see, is to be fed to you, folks. You better start to understand and start thinking for yourselves. There's always a bigger purpose behind what happens, what's presented to you. And after thinking all your life, if it hasn't, if you're still able to do it, you figure things out very quickly. You really do. Well, from Hamish Massage from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>